Listener supported. WNYC Studios. It's Money Talking from WNYC. I'm Charlie Herman. On the other side of the globe, a corruption scandal has been rocking Malaysia for years. It involves a multi-billion dollar government fund known as 1MDB that investigators say was used for the personal benefit of individuals like the country's previous prime minister. Billions of dollars are missing. Then this week, authorities in Malaysia filed criminal charges against Goldman Sachs. They allege the bank made false and misleading statements connected to work it did for the fund. The bank has denied wrongdoing and says it is cooperating. It is a complex story with allegations of money laundering, diamond-studded tiaras, and a $250 million yacht, and a key suspect who is now a fugitive. To help explain the story, I'm joined by Ben Walsh with Barron's and Peter Evis from The New York Times. And Peter, this fund, One Malaysia Development Berhad, or One MDB, what was it created for and then what happened? So One MDB was what people call a sovereign wealth fund. And that is a pool of money that is raised by a government, a sovereign government, to spend on different things. And they said they were going to spend the money they raised. Goldman raised $6.5 billion in three bond issuances for this fund. And they were going to spend it on sort of supposedly legitimate purposes like you know, a power project, I think it was. But a significant part of it, $2.7 billion out of the 6.5 was misappropriated, according to prosecutors, with the help of at least two Goldman bankers. And what's another name for misappropriated? Um, embezzlement, theft. And do we know what happened to that $2.7 billion? Well, we know that a lot of it was spent on, you know, <laughs> bizarrely luxurious things like see-through pianos and stuff like in yachts. Ben Walsh with Barron's. At the center of the story is a man named Jolo. Who is he? He's the person who is involved in taking money that was raised in bonds to buy power plants and airports and just siphoning it off to accounts all over the world to buy all all sorts of crazy things. What's interesting about him, he is not and was not ever technically an official of 1MDB. He was effectively, though, in charge of 1MDB. He worked his way into the former prime minister's inner circle. And he's the one who worked with the ex-Goldman Sachs bankers to pull off this heist, effectively. And where do people believe he is now? He's a fugitive. He's missing. He's a fugitive, and people think he's in China. So what you mentioned Goldman Sachs there, what was his connection then to Goldman Sachs? He had a relationship with a Goldman Sachs banker named Tim Leisner. And Tim Leisner was an incredibly senior banker at Goldman Sachs. He's a partner, and he was the chairman of the bank's Southeast Asia business. So if you were working in Southeast Asia, there was nobody more senior that you could work with at Goldman Sachs than Tim Leisner. And what they did together was effectively cook up a scheme to raise $6.5 billion in three bond issuances. And then Tim Leisner helped Joe Lowe and other people helped Joe Lowe divert that money into private accounts. And Leisner himself has pleaded guilty and admitted that he took about $200 million of that money for himself, in part to pay bribes to officials so that the scheme could keep on running forward. Peter, how big of a deal is this for Goldman Sachs? I think it's a huge deal because it's the biggest scandal that everybody's talking right now. It points to significant flaws in its compliance culture. And one of the things that regulators have really focused on since the financial crisis is banks having controls in place to stop this sort of thing happening. Now, Goldman will say, and they have said that, 
these guys went to incredible lengths to hide what they were doing, and um, and that's why we didn't catch them. And but even so, the fact is, a very senior employer like Ben says this guy was a partner, Tim Leisner. You know, he's pled guilty. He said what he did, and in the charging documents that go with his plea, he talks about the looseness of of Goldman's culture. But didn't the former CEO of Goldman Sachs meet with Jolo? Yeah, twice. In this instance, if they are ordered to pay a fine, do we have a sense of how much that could be? And like, is this something that could materially hurt the bank? I don't think the actual dollar number on the fine is the thing that will hurt the bank. What will hurt the bank is it will lose some of the prestige in its name. Because once again, you know, this is a huge scandal. I mean, a huge amount of money could end up in Congress. I mean, there could be hearings. There, there is more than one investigation, like you say. I mean, the SEC are probably going to be looking at this as authorities. Um, you know, in Malaysia, they filed criminal charges. And the question then becomes, what sort of legal agreement does Goldman end up entering? And then it's like, who else will come in and sue on the back of that? Ben, how significant do you think this all is for Goldman Sachs? I think it's extremely significant. And I think the reason why is because of the lengths that the bank went to after the financial crisis to try to restore its reputation. A firm-wide committee was set up to basically evaluate the bank's brand and reputation and figure out what they needed to change, how they needed to change the internal processes, how they needed to change how they talk about their business to the outside world. And this basically undercuts that almost decade-long effort to show the bank as a good corporate citizen. Coming out of the financial crisis and the rules that were put in place to try and prevent inappropriate behavior from happening at the banks. One of the things you've heard from the banks is these rules are so onerous that we can't make profits, that it's so much paperwork that we have to do, that this is just incredibly difficult now. We need the rules loosened. Does this argue, no, you actually need to have the rules tightened even more? I think what, what needs to happen is that someone needs to go to jail in these situations, right? Because I think that's the ultimate deterrent is that people end up doing jail time. And other bankers will see that and they will think twice about it. Having watched Wall Street for, you know, over two decades now, things just carry on. People still use investment banks that were criminally charged and, you know, the world goes on. That's part of the problem, though. I mean, the point is you have to devise punishments where there are real costs. And um, and I think that's very interesting, the fact that Malaysia uh, filed criminal charges against Goldman Sachs itself. Uh, its subsidiaries, because it's saying, it's telegraphing that we want to go after the bank as an organization, not just individuals. And I think that's one of the ways in which you stop this sort of stuff happening again. You actually charge corporations, a bank. The Obama administration tried this, but they crafted these criminal charges, these guilty pleas in such a way that they did a minimum of damage. And I guess the fact that this is still kind of happening is a sign that maybe we need to go even further and uh, ratchet up the, the punishment in some way, because otherwise it's just back to business as usual. Peter Evis is a reporter for The New York Times, and Ben Walsh is with Barron's. Thank you both for joining. Thank you. Thanks. And I'm Charlie Herman. This is Money Talking from WNYC. 